During a brutal study at Harvard in the 1950s, Dr. Kurt Richter placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. On average, they give up and sink after 15 minutes. But right before they gave up, due to exhaustion, the researchers would pluck them out, dry them off, and let them rest for a few minutes, and put them back in again. How long do you think? Another 15 minutes? 10 minutes? 5 minutes? Not even close. 60 hours. And that's not an error. That's right. 60 hours of swimming. The conclusion that was drawn was that since the rats believed that they would eventually be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what they previously thought impossible. It's all mindset. May the wind always be at your back and the sun upon your face. Stay strong. Stay focused. And remember to always pound the table. But we're underway, and I do mean underway. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500. Because they're sheep. And sheep get slaughtered. We have concluded the following. Because I know more than anybody. The cold winter has apparently not affected the army. They know Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 32 of Pounding the Table. I really missed you guys last week. I was out in Vegas with my buddy's bachelor party, but really hope you guys enjoyed Dom and Riley dropping some knowledge in my absence. Last week, we got a little bit of life pumped back into the growth markets, and I'm here once again to pump Tony back and get the kid pounding the table with that vigor once (laughs) again. We got a jam-packed episode this week, so we're going to touch on the chaos of what the heck happened in the crypto markets. Can I ask Tony if SPACs are finally back and answer a bunch of questions and a special interview to drop with FinTwit's up-and-coming Queen Bee Swap. So, Tony, let's get after it. Yo, Avi, I'm happy to be back. You and I rocking it, pounding the table like always. Quick disclaimer first for everybody. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything that on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. For those of you who are new, and the table is a podcast by Avi Mash and yours truly, Anthony Ohio, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week, we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. So take it away, Avi. Let's get going. Ooh, it feels good to be back, man. So while these growth stocks have started to come back a little bit last week, uh, I was just looking. Thank God I got out of some of my Ethereum and, and some of my link here before this big drop. But what in the world happened in this past week with the crypto? It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So I think we will start by talking about Elon Musk, obviously him accepting Bitcoin for Tesla and as well as adding it on the balance sheet. Uh, and that was, of course, previously now that he's changed. But 
when he did make that announcement, uh, Bitcoin went up a time. I think it went up like 300 billion in market cap. And then from then, like once he made that announcement, it trailed off about 200 billion. So I know a lot of people were upset with Elon about this. I think he's just having fun, right? Because uh, coins are not considered securities. They're basically property. So he's allowed to say whatever he wants, whenever he wants about it. And I think for, you know, Dogecoin, I think he's just having fun with it. And he kind of loves the idea of the fate loves irony concept, right? Because Bitcoin has kind of, in some way, become institutionalized by a lot of people. And the whole point of it was that decentralized, like, you know, point of it. That's what they want. They want it to be decentralized and not by anyone being able to control it. But of course, in his pursuit of fate loves irony, he created fate loves irony by being the guy who's moved Bitcoin, right? And then so once that started happening, it showed the first initial weakness of Bitcoin and crypto markets in general. But I want to touch on this 4chan post, right? It's an anonymous blogging platform. So what's really, really cool and kind of crazy to me is that I've never seen someone come out and completely call a move and call the reasons why this move was happening. And I kept doing a bunch of digging into it. And I'm just going to read to you essentially the conversation that was posted on 518 and that basically happened to a T. So they go, uh, for those of you who are paying attention, there will be another announcement from China soon. Can't tell you guys what firm I work for, but it's massive and it's working with the PRC. So People's Republic of China. Uh, the purpose of today's press release alongside all the FUD posting is to get Bitcoin as low as it can before 7 a.m. UCT. First, there will be a coordinated sell-off to drop the prices below a certain threshold and liquidate one certain stakeholder. Can't outright say who he is, but he bought a lot of the dip that he was partly responsible for. And, you know, upon my further review, I found out that that guy is Justin Soon, who's the guy who created Tron, uh, which is another cryptocurrency. Now, is that so let's go back. It's Justin or, or is this? You know, I mean, thought? is any of this even confirmed, man? But like, I think that the, the cool and the, the crazy thing about it. So it's cool, of course, just because like seeing that there is actually a lot of manipulation going on. And like, I know we always talk about, you know, short sellers affecting growth names because that's easy to do. And I think this kind of like sheds a light on everything that happens in just the macro environment and that trickles all the way down to things even as small as cryptocurrency, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah, to go back to the to the the post that this guy was saying is once liquidated, the plan is then to buy up all the reserves and essentially leave this guy bankrupt. If you guys want to get rich, grab some coffee and watch for the big dip. Once it happens, things are gonna get green really fast and we project 70K. Then the story continued. In another person commented on this thing and goes, I'm insider you seek. I don't have much time. Everything's going according to plan. It's too soon to tell, but the schedule has changed due to non-compliance, which is like, called a greed from the other party. The operation has been pushed back to 1 p.m. UCT. So expect 30K. That's a guarantee. And Avi, where did Bitcoin go exactly at 1 p.m.? Right? Like 30K. This guy exactly. may be, it so, may be Satoshi. This this is finally Satoshi yeah. <laughs> making a name yeah, for who, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, he said it's a he said he works for a massive fund, right? So I have no idea what's going on there. I'm sure that there's obviously a ton of whales who are involved in this. Like it's basically, I mean, it continues to say that it's a game that the elites are playing. And then he also went further to start shedding some light on the NASDAQ, which was nuts to me, right? This guy randomly starts talking. He says the NASDAQ's going to take a hit in pre-market and it'll most likely only drop by a point or so at the time of the market close, which is like pretty much what happened. It rallied quite strongly from there. And this bull run's all-time high tops out well above 100K for Bitcoin. So don't trust the FUDs. This movement is just a silly game that the elites are playing and it'll be over soon. And then he leaves and goes... I must go now. That's so terrific. it's absolutely insane that he was just touching on all these things that happened in real time, right? Bitcoin bounced from 30K to 38K right at that 1 p.m. UCT. So it's it's just insane to me that it was like so well called out. Somebody to this and we were able to get a glimpse into what the whales and the big boys are doing 
that doesn't just apply for crypto. I'm sure this is going on in every asset class that you possibly can think of, because how else do you make money? You trick other people out of losing money. Yeah. And I want to pause you for a second too, because you know, with, with crypto, he's talking about these elites, right? And that, that was always my, I guess, hesitancy towards crypto. I know with Bitcoin, I think it's like a thousand people own like 50 or maybe 60%. I know with Dogecoin, I think it was like 800 people own like 75%. So that, that is just, it's, yeah, it's, it's like 91, 91 people own. Yeah. 91 people own the mo- majority of, of Dogecoin. And obviously like the, the one guy who owns the most, I forget how much he owns it percent wise, but that's Elon because I swear he was buying it in his birthday amount, added a few zeros. He did that many, many times. And then just to say like a joke or whatever, after SNL, that wallet bought 4.269 coins. So like, who else, who else is that, right? So this manipulation that you're talking about, obviously you, you kind of just discussed it may happen here with the NASDAQ. We, we've talked about this in the past. Obviously the big boys do ultimately control the flows of that market. So, you know, we did touch on this a little bit last time too, with some of this money I was joking around with like that Dogecoin money is going to start going in back into to growth stocks. Do you think crypto as a whole, some of this money that is now in people's pockets you think that's going to now start coming back into the market? I think we kind of saw that happen a little bit. I mean, honestly, as Bitcoin and the other coins were dropping, we started getting more money into those growth names, right? So last week, the week before last, we had the CPI, PPI data come out. And then this week we had the Fed come out. And I think a lot of people were reluctant to be buying anything because every time the Fed's had a meeting in the last few months, it's tanked ARC, it's tanked the growth names. People were continuously expecting the Fed to start raising really quickly because they were saying, well, this is not transitory inflation. And the Fed was just pounding the table on the fact that it is right. So obviously, I'm not the absolute macro expert in any way, but I do know that there's obviously these supply bottlenecks, right? Like the chips play a big role in this, right? We had the pipeline shut down. Right? We had lumber go from like there was a 5x in the last year. So all those things are obviously not sustainable to be running that high. Because that's when the value, which is not even like the best margin value, right? Like that becomes growth in a bad margin sense of like what they're making in profits and revenue and all that. And like, I mean, separate for commodities, but I'm talking about like the names we discussed last time, you know, the the Exoms and the GEs and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see that people are obviously like less interested in cryptocurrency for the time being because of the concept of this is supposed to be decentralized. No one's supposed to be able to manipulate prices like this. Mm -hmm. And I really like what Vitalik, the founder of Ethereum said, he was saying, this is happening now, but this will not happen more and more over time, right? He's expecting that the fluctuations will eventually be like, you know, 0.1 to 1%. And that does make sense, right? Like the more people that use it, the less you're able to manipulate a market as it's more and more spread out, right? But there are still these whales that each time they sell, that's going to ca- that's gonna cause an impact. And if, if people know who the whales are, then they're going to go and follow all the coins and that guy, right? Like you can go to Justin Soon's wallet. People know what that wallet address is and you'll see everything else he owns, right? And so- it was a coordinated FUD between the markets and they were really trying to, to screw that guy from what I can tell. I'm not positive. This is my conspiracy theory on the back of a conspiracy theory that was accurate. But that's kind of where I'm seeing things happen right now. Yeah. And, we, and we've seen this before. I mean, to some capacity, right? You always hear about governments and with India and obviously China has, has tried to cancel uh, Bitcoin, if you will. But where do we go from here? I mean, is this just one of those initial drops? Because, you know, you, you have the, the crypto lovers that are taking a look back and say, hey, all right, take a look three years ago. Like we're, we're way ahead of where we were three years ago. Right. And so which, right. which is fair. Right. So where do you think crypto goes mm-hmm. from here? Is this is this just a moment in time right now and it will go right back up? Or you think this mm-hmm. is kind of the, the end to this fun game that people have been playing? 
I, I think that this is very similar to a lot of the things that were happening in the U.S. market and that are still happening now, right? Like I think commodities are on this rampage that are is very similar to crypto when you consider the trillions and trillions of dollars in that market. I think SPACs were another example of this that got way too hot because, you know, it was nice when there was only 100 SPACs or so, right? But then there were 500 plus and then you create a supply glut and then there's all these shit coins. Everything's kind of similar, right? Like history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes and that continues to happen in different asset classes. And that will always happen because there's only really two emotions that drive people for anything. It's greed or fear. So that's kind of like, you know, both extremes of that spectrum. Um, I think I think going forward, though, I think uh, it's important to note that like the guy who created Ethereum, which I argue is like one of the smartest people in this market. Right. He's the one that took blockchain technology and used it for real applications, right, Mm -hmm. for smart contracts. And, you know, this is what we're going to be using more so than than Bitcoin. Right. Because it could theoretically be Dogecoin if if Dogecoin is like, you know, back end and their developers improve it to the point of Bitcoin. But Ethereum already has a lot of applications today, right? Like there's a lot like Visa's using Ethereum blockchain. Like there's a lot of places where it's like actually a, a good place. But the problem is the gas fees are so high, right? Like I, I do some farming, uh, which is basically, you know, you put your crypto, you combine two coins, you put it in an LP and then you get uh, interest APR on that continuously, essentially. Um, but the gas fees, even for me to harvest uh, the gains that I make on that are insane, right? Like I can barely use Ethereum because it sucks and it costs so much, right? Like I have some NFTs. I went to go sell my NFTs and the fees obscene. So it's like, it's gotten so popular too fast. The technology is not where the price is there. And the demand is is overshooting what it can capably do right now, right? It's not even a proof of stake. It's still just a proof of work, right? So when it moves from that proof of stake or proof of work to proof of stake, Right. It'll be more like Bitcoin. There won't be a continuous flow of coins and that's going to attract people. But we need time for that. Right. Like there's an update coming in a few months, I think in July. And then in two years, like, you know, Alex saying that things are going to be really, really moving by that point. So I think people overshot the next couple of years. And that kind of always happens. Right. Like you see valuations get stressed out to like where stock will be in two, three, four, five years, and then they contract. So this is kind of what's happening. Like, I'm still bullish on Ethereum. I think that they'll be able to adjust that and fix that. And it's also such a huge network that people use for a ton of things. But I do think that there's a lot of opportunity in certain coins that are doing actual real things on Earth, right? Like Helium, for instance, right? They're trying to provide Wi-Fi by using a ton of different routers set between 300 and 10,000 uh, 10, feet away or whatever it is. And that's trying to create like basically on the ground Starlink, which is very cool. So there's like actually some applications and that's backed by Google and Salesforce. So there's real applications to these coins. But I think there's just a broad range of shit coins that kind of it's like the same thing with SPACs, right? You've got a bunch of great companies are coming out of SPACs, but they're getting lumped into all the other crap. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, right, so let's, let's actually get back to the stock market a little bit. We were uh, we were pounding the table this last summer, SPAC attack. We were thinking on top of the world. And like you just said, right, there are some amazing companies, but there was this glut of so many. And then it just became crazy, yeah. right? And so which we said would happen at some point. And that, and that happened earlier than I was excited. I didn't expect 200 to come every month for three months since they were starting to do so well. But, it, it, you know, life happens fast. Yeah. And so is SPAC attack back? Like we got so excited. XPOA just recently announced. I know uh, at first I I had never even heard of this gaming company and and that doesn't mean it's a bad company by any means, but 
you know, after digging in a little bit more, we saw some amazing revenues and some amazing partnerships that were coming out of there. And so, you know, I didn't really know. I said, I got to dig in a little bit more. I wanted to ask you and, and you were, mm-hmm. you know, you were pounding the table at 2 a.m., you know, 3 a.m., whatever it was we were joking about. Yeah, but it. before so, the slides came out, before the slides came out, though, and then I read right. the slides and I was a little bit more reluctant, but yeah. Okay. So, so like, let's talk about that a little bit. So I know HAAC is, you know, still one of those amazing ones, Lavongo co-founders on that one. Uh, and then XPOA, as I just mentioned, like are SPACs, is there potential that SPACs are back or, or do you think it's over? And mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and kind of the SPACs mm-hmm. for cash. I know you were discussing earlier. Yeah, I think what's really interesting to note is that there's been restrictions that have basically been put on the SPAC market, whether artificially or, or tangible, like real restrictions through the SEC and other compliance organizations to make it less of a glut, right? Because it was becoming crazy. You don't see 24 IPOs of a SPAC anymore, right? So there's it's finding this middle ground where the guys who currently have SPACs have more potential to, to pick these companies, right? And, and I want you to consider too, like, sure, there were, I think, 300 plus $1 billion plus companies that were available to go launch that are private that wanted to go public. But over time, those 400, 500 million dollar companies will become the 1 billion, 1.5 billion. So I think it's like you've got a lot of things to get through. You have a lot of SPACs that have to get through. I think that that's why they're not seeing so many new SPACs just come and hit the market and just cause that supply glut. And you're seeing like a lot of these SPACs not even exploding on merger announcements. And I think that's also a construct of it's kind of figuring out this middle ground of where they should be valued and everything. But I will say, right, like we're still getting IPOs from like, you know, Goldman, Morgan, whatever. And these guys are still opening up two to three times sales. So I think it's a really psychological thing. And I want to touch on that for a second, because when people like get hit by something, right, and they consider it an asset class, I don't know psychologically how long it takes. You know, it, it, they say that it takes one to three months to get over a trauma, but like how severe of a trauma, right? And how many traumas within that, right? And so I think that that's an important thing to note. But I, I mean, like CMLF, for example, like I probably will not sell that for many years just because I think that I'm getting it at a good valuation and I'm excited to see where that goes in the future. And I think obviously Eric Schatt, you know, one of the highest H indexes, most cited guy, really like buildings out at, at Pacific, you know, at PACB, Pacific Biosciences. So it's not like, you know, if that thing went IPO normally, it'd be a very different valuation and a very different conversation we'd be having. But we're able to get in early. I think it's the kind of thing where you have to wait to see where that kind of goes in the in the SPAC market in general, because I have no qualms about that company whatsoever. And then when you look at XPOA, it's like, you know, DraftKings was not just like, you know, it wasn't just one company. Now we think of it because it's been a while. But when they first merged as a SPAC, it was multiple companies within each other. And so that's important to notice because like XPOA, for example, that one is combining. So Jam City and Ludia, which is like they're two gaming companies, but Jam City's got like they own some IP of their own. They also do licensing deals and they have an artificially intelligent platform to help people, you know, maximize games that go with them. Right. And they have a partnership with Disney and they're, they're, they're no slouch in terms of their partnerships and their revenues are way better comparable to Zanga and their, their EV EBITDA, all that like looks better. But the reason I think it didn't pop is because you're betting on Ludia. You're not betting on uh, the Jam City part. Like Jam City seems like it'll be consistent. And so it's not commanding a high multiple, even though it's trading at like like uh, less than two times sales of next year. So that's one thing to note. But also like looking at Ludia and saying, well, if you combine it with another company, you don't know what's going to end up happening and like how well that they'll do together. But I think that because Jam City's already done really well, right? I looked at all the app stores and saw that they had so many games, 50 plus million. They just launched Disney Pop Town. So they have multi-year gaming developer deals with Disney. 
And then Ludia has deals where they're going to be putting out a Star Wars game. They're going to be putting out uh, an Avatar game. So there's like a lot of HGTV like entertainment. So you can go on and literally like design a house. And that's going to be really popular. I'm sure I'm assuming with the female crowd. So there's a lot of cool things there that you're going to be able to, to see where that goes by the combination, which is what did well for DraftKings because that's the reason they went through a spec because you can't take two public companies public at the same time or two private companies public at the same time. And so you do a spec to create a new organization that ends up being the one that, that, that works out well, hopefully in the future. So I think once people start to see that and, and, you know, once the slides turn into actual revenue in quarter earnings, because you'll, you'll start to see their actual balance sheet because, you know, those slides don't necessarily give you the whole picture. So I want to know things like how long are the licensing deals and, you know, me and Don were talking about this so well, as well. I want to see how long those licensing deals are. I want to see, you know, what's their expected margins on everything in the combination. And I want to see that the combination is actually going to do well, right? Because I think it'll do well. They're in the very, very similar space to mobile gaming. Obviously, that's the fastest growing part of entertainment. Um, but once again, like, I think it's early for those names. And I think that when companies IPO, they already have all that info and you've had time to see. So it's more of a, like, patient thing, in my opinion. Like, I'll continue to deep dive. I still own it. Um, but I do want to see what ends up happening with that, because if it's true, it does have a very attractive valuation compared to Zanga and other games like that. And for HAAC, once again, that's a wait, I think. Right. You're not getting those huge pops after SPACs announced. So I'm happy to wait and see. And like, I think that, you know, the SPACs as cash thing, it is just that now it's as cash. And if you get a good deal and you can hold on to it, be happy. That's very different than like expecting that 10 or 20 percent, even 50 percent pop that we used to get. Um, but I do want to touch on one last thing before I know I'm just like ranting about SPACs, but the warrants on these things kind of don't really make sense to a lot of people. And so when you look at other companies that have already SPAC'd and de right, they've already changed ticker symbol, like XPOA warrants are like $1.20, right? And you look at ASTS, um, which I think has gotten hit because of the, you know, Starlink success and because of Helium. I think people are like overlooking that as like the cryptocurrency play for Wi-Fi around the world, but those warrants are still two plus. Right. Triteris went all the way from 10 down to 650. And those warrants are still a dollar. Right. So XPOA is at NAV. The warrants are a dollar 20. I think there's mathematical differences in the way people are thinking about it. And I think that will correct over time as soon as we start to see growth run. Yeah. So talking about HAAC again, like, is there some learnings that we could take from CCIV where everyone was talking and this is 100 percent going to be lucid? It's 100 percent going to be lucid. And then, of course, you know, sure enough, it ended up being lucid. Hack, you know, let's call it hack. I don't know if that's <laughs> truly how you pronounce uh, yeah. the ticker symbol here, but you know, everyone's kind of chirping on the internet. This is going to be color. So, do you think something similar is going to happen here if it does end up being color, for example? Again, this is a hypothetical, but is there some learnings from right. CCIV? Do you think that will, okay, everyone knew it was going to be color, so no surprise there. Do you think mm-hmm. it will crash after it does? hypothetically again announce that well yeah, they can't crash right they're at that trust value once they make that announcement you can redeem prior to the spac right so that's something to, to note here right the, the risk reward of these if you end up getting a great like i think cmlf at ten dollars was silly and i was slamming the table on that like during when i was trading um, but i think haac right like it's right right above 10 it's not going to be dipping down to seven until it despacks if it ever does um and then when it when that happens i think you'll be able to tell at the time so I think the risk is like only if a SPAC does not announce or if it gets a really horrible acquisition. But even if they do, you'll have time to decide based on the acquisition. I think a lot of people overlook that. So let's, let's get into um, some of the bigger boys that we've uh, started to introduce a lot in the past couple episodes with like NVIDIA, right? They just had this amazing news about their stock split. And again, we saw this with Apple. Uh, we saw this with Tesla a few months back. 
So before we get into you know specifics around NVDA, what is a stock split for for those who don't know? Just very quickly, and, and why do companies do them? And you know, I guess talking about Nvidia and, and TTD, for example, like what do you think those mean for those two specific companies? Yeah, it's just like yeah, like you have like a Twinkie, and then you cut it into four parts. And then you don't have four Twinkies, you just have four little parts of a Twinkie. So it's the same thing, right? You're not getting four full Twinkies. So that's like, it's like people don't understand that a stock's price is not its market cap or value. Like, you know, like Amazon at 3,000, whatever, it is a high market cap, but it's not because it's 3,000 plus a share. You have to multiply the number of shares by the price of the stock, and then you get the full market cap. So whenever a company splits, there is a like obviously more liquidity because it's a cheaper price, right? So the bid and the, the ask are going to be smaller, which will make it more liquid. And then people like, you know, you and I, like, I don't really love NVIDIA at $600, but if it goes down to like, you know, one four to one split goes down to 150, I'll be able to buy more shares. And then psychologically, I'll feel like I own more. And that's, that's what matters with the stock split, especially TTD, because TTD is a very liquid stock. And that's why you get those fast draws. NVIDIA has a way higher market cap, even though they're roughly the same price, right? So it's like NVIDIA is way like 300 plus billion dollar company. When they do that split, right, and they're already paying a dividend, they become like a blue chip. They become like a Walmart kind of trading stock. And that's okay. And I think that they're still going to grow a ton. I think it's a trillion dollar company in the making in the next decade. But TTD is probably going to get a lot more advantage from that just because they are so honestly illiquid. And I trade options on TTD, so I can see how illiquid it is. And that's why you get those huge drops from 1,000 to 500 is because if somebody sells a big position, there's not enough bids to catch it because the price, it's, it's like, it's just the liquidity is not there the higher the stock price is. So when you do that, you allow other people to get in at the cheaper psychological valuation because 30% of America doesn't know how many states we have. That's exactly kind of how that works. If without the song 50 Nifty United States, like I don't know where I would be really in, in life. But uh, Tony, we keep saying that we are the pod of the people, but have we truly been? Like it's been a long time since we really got back and gave back to the pounders and answering some of the questions from the pounders. So we shot a little tweet earlier today, you know, asking, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? And, you know, that's that's what we love. And that's why, we, again, we say this multiple times every episode, but that's really why we do this, right? And so let's get into some of the questions from Pound Nation here. The first one coming in saying, what is the best way to understand price action and options? And then especially around OPEX. And, and if you could just explain again, we have new listeners coming in all the time, right? Various maturity levels in terms of, of where they're at from an investor standpoint. So, what is OPEX and, and why does that matter? And then, how do you understand those price actions? Right. So, OPEX, you know, like it depends on the month, right? Four times a year, it includes the indices. So, the you know, SP 500 futures, ES, and it includes the NASDAQ futures, NQ. So, it's all those futures, and those have to roll over to the next quarter. And that happens four times a year. But every month, there's a bunch of stocks that only have monthly options, right? And obviously, because there's only monthly options, everyone has to play those, whether they want a Delta hedge, whether whatever they want to do, they want to just play that outright or they're hedging through it. And there's more volume on those names, right? And so the market makers, the guys who are out in the background, kind of like fixing the bids and the asks and like pricing things for you, those guys want to collect that premium, right? So they don't want to pay out, like, let's say Apple's at like 150. If there's a ton of, you know, uh, open interest, a ton of people buying the 155s, maybe it'll go to 155, but then they'll pin it there. They'll 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 move, manipulate the stock to pin it at a price. At which point they don't need to pay out, 
you know, if you have, you know, 10,000 155s and it goes to 160, then you're paying $5 for each of those 10,000 versus just collecting the premium on those 155s. So something to look for in options on OPEX is don't just don't play it. Like I don't play it. I barely touch options on OPEX. Right. And, and like, yeah, I, I've done this for a long time. Like I'm experienced in trading options, but it's just impossible. Like the low volatility happens because they're trying to like slow down the volatility to make those premiums collapse. It's purposefully doing that to screw you. Right. So if you know that the house is literally not at a 50 percent advantage, now it's at a 70 percent advantage and you think you're smart enough to play the house. Yeah, there's 30 percent that you could win, but 70 percent you're going to lose. So I, I recommend not playing options on OPEX. Uh, just a personal thing. And if you're very experienced, different story, but like, I think that a lot of people are just now coming into options and it took me like seven, eight years to even get a really good grasp of options. And, and I still don't play a lot on OPEX. Um, and I think that's something to really be important of because premiums will trick you and they'll jack up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they'll collapse because they want you to buy those and then pay out zero. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me personally, like I, I, I made myself a rule, no trading options into earnings. Like you can't win. (laughs) It just feels like that. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same. That's an obvious rule. It's my my, my first rule. (laughs) Now now I got my, Tony has his rules. This is my first obvious rule. Yeah. Not try to even. And that's a good rule. No, I was just going to, I was just going to touch on that and say like the premium on earnings is meant for the same thing. Like you expect a huge move, right? And what's the most advantageous, like, screw you to everybody for the market makers is to keep it flat or slowly down and then trickle up or slightly up and then trickle down to even the premiums implied volatility could be 10 20 plus percent like you think that they want to pay that out like they used to in the past when options were less and less hyped up but do you understand like in the last five to ten years the amount of people playing options has created more liquidity for options more demand for options so i used to be able to like buy a google for i've done this many times like in 2015 i bought google calls on earnings it was like 600 bucks I paid $300 for those calls and they went to like 80. You don't get that anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, like I, the whole markets, you know, maybe it's crypto, maybe it's just the markets in general. Everything kind of feels super manipulated. Like when I grew up, if a company was making a lot of money and they had a great earnings, you saw this with like TTD, or excuse me, with, uh, with TDOC, like 151% year on year earnings, they guide it up and the company goes down. Like, it, it, there's obviously mm-hmm. a lot of more mechanics that get involved, but it, it just feels like there's a lot of fuckery going on. And, and I just uh, have chose myself not to play around with that. Yeah. So the next question, Smart. yeah, we got another question here uh, saying the Fed is in a peculiar place. Uh, what should they do? And why is there such low unemployment now? Is this stagflation? we got another question that kind of goes along with this. So what is this trauma of inflation for investors? How long did it take? And now what can we expect? All right. So like, I'm obviously not positive about this, right? Because like it's based on so many pieces of economic data around the world and especially in the U.S. And like there's different factors that play, right? The more that we print, the more bills that we pass for, for this, that infrastructure, whatever, right? Like that is all going to impact everything, right? Like more infrastructure, more demand for commodities, this, that, whatever. So there's a lot of ambiguous pieces. But what I will say is that there, there, it's, it's this thing of like the pent up demand that we spoke about a long time ago where I was like cruise ships have an expected 44% net desire for 2021 versus 20. And, and like, I'm right. Cause obviously look at the pent up demand and the inflation on everything. But I think that a lot of it is transitory. Like I don't think lumber should be $1,700 a contract. Like those things will, you know, regress as SPACs and growth tech in general did. But the question is like, when, right. And I think that the fed is in a peculiar place because they have to continue supporting the economy in their minds based on their mandate, right? Because unemployment's low and they're, they're trying to support that by, uh, and like 
trying to get people in the workforce, but it's actually having an adverse effect, right? Because of Congress and because people are paying $300 a month where, you know, your $7 minimum wage is kind of crap now because you can go online for Fiverr and make that in 20 minutes. So there's a different economy. I think people are comparing this a lot to 2001. Like I will compare this more to like 2018 where the Fed was in a peculiar place, like raising and lowering QE taper. Like that was kind of similar to where I think we are now. I think that in 2001, we didn't have global connectivity. We didn't have IOT devices everywhere. We didn't have a need for chips everywhere. Like we were talking about the chip shortage and like there's a, and that I think that's also partly due because of crypto, because obviously you need chips for your GPUs to mine and your rigs. A lot of that's all connected, but I think that that's kind of like going to trail off slowly and we'll find a medium because it's usually what happens. But in my opinion, the Fed just needs to get it over with and just announce. So the problem is we don't know. And like Kaplan from the Fed says, oh, we're being quiet. We don't want to announce tapering. But then every other day he's we should start tapering and this and that and whatever. Right. So, So they're making the uncertainty and that's the worst thing for the markets. Right. So if they said, hey, guys. We're going to raise rates back up to 1%, but we're going to do it in this way. And let's tell you how we're going to do it. Or we're going to stop supporting all these, you know, the, the, the bonds and the MBSs or whatever, like at the end of the month. If they start saying what they're going to do and actually do it at the pace, it's different than, you know, just raising every time they have a meeting or tapering more and more every time they have a meeting without letting us know. Right. So we want to know their target, but they, they, they say they have to do it based on the data. But I don't know that inflation will ever really get to that point in the next three, six months, because I think the people who are applying for jobs will either a become discouraged workers, thus not counted in unemployment or, you know, just like not care because they're doing stuff like Fiverr. They're doing stuff like Uber and DoorDash. It's, a, it's an economy where you can be your own boss. Right. So, yes, like I guess you're counted in unemployment, but like there's there's transition time for all those things. Right. Like, let's say you were an accountant and now TurboTax takes your job. Right. Like you, you got to figure something out, but you you are getting paid 300 bucks a month. So it takes time for you to say, I need to do something because I'm making more than I used to do as a pizza boy. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very peculiar situation. I think the Fed will eventually have to start doing that soon because they're literally going to be bleeding money every time this happens. And the longer it happens for it, it's going to get us in a worse financial situation as a country. But they're doing it based on their mandate. So I don't think it's stagflation. I think it's a very, very peculiar time in history that you cannot compare to anything. But it, once again, it it rhymes, but it does not repeat. Right. Do you, do you think, I mean, you know, I, I'm always uh, thinking about analogies with sports, right? So I think a lot of these NBA or any type of trade rumors, they kind of, they may leak them on purpose. So do you think there's anything like with the Fed or, or, or any of these guys that are kind of dropping hints and just seeing how the market would kind of react to that first? And then, oh, 100 percent. That's what Kaplan's doing. You know, Fed's Kaplan. Like, right. I think he might be one of the most outspoken guys on there because every other day I see a statement from him saying, uh, yeah, we're not in a position to discuss QE tapering, but like he said, QE tapering, he's saying he's, but like, they didn't even say the word taper, right? Like he said the words and, and like just saying not in front of the words does not mean you're not saying the word, you're still saying the word. So it's on their minds. They don't know when they're going to like, they, I think they know, I think they all know when they're going to do it right now. They're price. I think it's pricing in like it was before the fed meeting. I don't know what it is now, but they were pricing a 99% chance that the fed does some type of tapering before December which I honestly don't think would be a horrible thing for the markets. I think fear is that it's going to get so out of control in this inflationary thing that it'll cause a shock like, you know, the seventies or, you know, like the reverse of 2018, something like that. So in my opinion, they should get out in front of it because they kept, they, they said 2024, the middle of 2024, and then they said 2022. And now they're like talking about it now. So they're all lying bastards and they just need to fucking come out and say what they actually mean. Excuse my language, but like, come on, man, like tell us what you want to do. Tell us how you're going to do it. 
tell us at what pace you're going to do it, and then assure us that you're not going to keep doing it if it screws up the economy. It's very simple. Let me run the Fed because that's how you should do it. That's right. Well, Tony's going to be running for the Fed very soon. <laughs> um, so we got a question here from Ross Berman, who's been a pounder since day one. So I had to call him out here by name. Uh, he says, I would love to hear your thoughts when you know it's time to hop ship. Do you scale out? Do you do it all at once? What kind of news will you let you know when it is time to actually hop? And, and I, I actually want to just compound on that question because like it's so easy like in the summer you could literally throw darts at the board and in anything you could put your money into a SPAC and just sit there and it's a lottery ticket you scratch off you know in you know a month or so that it's going to pop up right so it's a lot easy you know it's it's very easy to make money in an amazing market so to this question of when is it time to hop ship on something like what it's a lot harder to know when to sell so how, how do you do that personally yeah I think and that's something I've definitely thought about a lot more recently because there I I've never been in a position where like I was making so much money that I didn't know how to manage it. Right. Like I knew how to manage a standard market, but things were just going insane. Right. Like high yield six was telling me the other day, he's like, yo, look at Ethereum. Do you want this to be CCV CCIV part two for you? Right. Because like I only sold a third and I was like, I'll buy it back cheaper. It'll be okay. But, and that, that's something I'll do. That's just first part of it. It's like once I can get out the majority or, or more than my cost basis and still have a nice position. Right. That goes back to the individual bonds. I like, Let's say you have a position that's 2% that goes to 10% and you only want it to be 3 to 4%, right? That's your decision. But then there's the other choice of like C limited. I was asked this question the other day. Like, I love it. When it gets to three, four, 500 billion, I will start getting out and it'll be less percent just because, you know, right now it's like 15% for me because I think it has a heck of a runway. But at that point, you'll kind of see exactly where it's going to go. And like, you know, adding three new business legs isn't going to be as exciting when they have 20 right? They only have three, they double their business legs potential. So it's in that growth phase and it's starting to churn out insane revenues and it'll be starting to churn out insane profits very soon. Um, and so that thing, like I'm still holding on to because I don't think it's reached where it has. And I, I, I had trimmed out, I trade around my core, but one thing to consider about when you're selling is like that overall individual bonsai, right? Like you want your base to be still safe, right? So if SE goes to 400 very quick, then I'll definitely like trim out some because I expect it to pull back from that, right? Because like if something goes parabolic, which obviously everyone should know by now, that is when you probably take some off the table because nothing just goes parabolic and stays parabolic. There are retracements along the way. Maybe they don't come back to the neckline of that parabolic move, but it can still retrace 20, 30, 40, 50%, which everything has at some point, Amazon, Google, Facebook, whatever it is, they all have. So it's a cycle that you don't want to get caught in. And like I wrote this thread on Twitter because it's important to know when to say I win and walk away. So that's the point that you want to realize for yourself. Like, let's say your goal is 50 percent and you're at 80 percent. OK, sell half of everything, whatever, like sell half, whatever is your risk tolerance and then ride with the coattails because you're able to, you know, still be in a good spot, even if it reverses, because just because you make a gain, you don't make a gain until you sell a gain. OK, or you hedge it or you, you know, do a constructive sale. Whatever it may be, that's an important thing to factor in because, you know, as much cushion as you think something has because of how far it ran, it can run all the way back down. So that's something, obviously, like we, we've spoken about this so many times. I think people have a hard time listening to the truth about the downside, right? Like there's a reason puts are priced more than calls, you know, because people want hedges, people want protection, but people don't want to think about it until it's usually too late, which is why when things start going down, it gets really pricey because demand for the downside is huge. You, you know, I've said this before, but you either win in life or you learn. And I'm going to pat myself on the back because I definitely dropped the ball here with CCIV skills, same type of thing. Just 
absolute complete ramp up. And then I should have known, but I didn't. And I held some of those and I was holding the bag. But this time with Ethereum, I saw the exact same chart and it was just going straight, straight up. And I was like, okay, I don't care. Everyone's saying, you know, Ethereum 10K, everyone's going like crazy. And it it is hard. Like mentally, you're like, it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. The truth is it's going to stop and you do not want to be holding the bag. So this time, you know, maybe I got lucky on timing, but I just said to myself, I'm going to take profits. I had a great run and I'll get back in, but I'm just saying right now I'm going to, I'm going to take that. So, uh, right. Wanna- and that has to be an individual choice, man. That has to be you saying to yourself, right. all right, like I'm good. Like I bought Ethereum at 200, it's at 4,000. I'm Gucci. Exactly. Let's switch gears a little bit. I know you're very active on Twitter and I saw this tweet the other day that said the larger names are going to hold better like Twilio, Roku, TTD, Mealy, Tesla, Fiverr, SE Square. They're going to their VWAPs from March. And you said, ask yourself, did these companies do better since COVID? And will that keep an exponential improvement? So what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are like, well, a lot of these companies broke through their volume, the smaller names broken through their volume shelf, they're under their anchored VWAP, under their trend lines and stuff. But like, you have to consider that they haven't been here for a long, long time, right? So I always say this, say this nonstop, and I'll say it again, VWAPs and stuff like volume shelves, the price action of a company matters more the longer you look back, right? So those important moments, which obviously March was a complete reset. So I, I usually start by March for everything. But for the indices, right, like I'll start in 2008 because markets had a ton of resets. So you, know, you could start in 2008 or you know, the 90s or the 70s or whatever it is. But for individual companies, right, like Twilio, Roku, you know, Mealy, TTD, Tesla, Fiverr, SE, Square, those companies have been around for a long time and they've had a lot of ups and downs and dips. And they are backed by a lot of institutional investors that impact the price action, the amount of shares traded and the price those shares are traded at. So those are the ones that will tell you the bottom. It's not going to be like skills or Nanox. It'll be those names, right? And those names have to come up first because it's a gradient of strength where people start adding, right? You know, people were adding the big tech. People were adding the cyclicals and the value and this and that. Fine. But people will start to add those more quality names because they're on the verge of becoming value from growth, which I'm not saying today, but in the next two to three years, it's very tangible. You can see the estimates and you can see their revenues, their projections that have been holding for a long time. Whereas these new names either don't have that or don't have a lot of it for a long time. So, you know, names like McNanox, like that will obviously take time and you'll have to see news come out for that stock, right? The markets, obviously, we said this a lot of times, when rates start going up, when you see this inflationary thing happening, the market will change to where things cannot run as far without real cause and reason for it, right? So those names, Twilio, Roku, TTD, they all approach their VWAP from March. So it's saying that all the buyers and all the sellers and all the prices from then met up at the same line on the average line, right? And so they bounce from that level for a reason. And then the subsequent growth that are smaller also came with that. And it does not lead to a squeeze in those smaller names until those bigger names get stronger, right? Because it's a general trend of the market. Like ARC just came back to 106, which was the first place it dropped to before May. Obviously, May sell in May go away actually happened this year, even though it's happened, it hasn't been happening for a lot of years. But it happened very strongly this year. You see ARC went from like almost 130 down to under 100 since that. And it's now starting to recover. But at the same time, you saw SC come back a little bit. Fiverr had a bounce. Uh, and a TTD had a little bit of a bounce. Tesla had a little bit of a bounce. Twilio, Roku. So those things will kind of tell you when the conditions are starting to turn. 
And obviously, like I think a lot of people who are investing in growth and, and honestly tech in general, that's not just Amazon, Facebook, Google, whatever, have to look at ARC and they have to look at like IWO. They have to look at the growth indices because that's what you're trading, right? So it's, it doesn't make as much sense to hedge with S&P 500, to hedge with the NASDAQ puts or whatever. It, it makes more sense to hedge through ARC, which unfortunately is a bad way to hedge because like the premium on it's so high because everyone's thinking like this. And so therefore the price on the skew for the puts is higher. So that's why I always hedge with like individual names, right? Like if I own SE shares, I have SE puts. And that's just because the volatility now makes it worth it because if the stock goes down 20%, because it's very possible, we've seen it happen three times in the last three months, then you'll be able to catch that. And then if it rips, you just roll your puts up and that gives you more buying power that allows you to be protected and lock in a portion of those gains until you see the actual indices for your growth, like ARC and IWO come back into a stronger place, right? So it's all this like pattern that you have to kind of recognize and be able to play with, or you're going to get caught up your ass. Like it's, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. And there's a lot of events that happen, you know, throughout the week, whether it be earnings, whether it be the Fed talking, you know, which we're going to get into in just a little bit. But uh, before we kind of wrap things up with that, we did want to introduce Swap or Swof or Swof, however you may call her. Uh, We are going to be bringing her on in just a second for an interview that we conducted here last week. We are joined here by the lovely Swof. So we found Swap uh, on Twitter, I think like two months ago. She had 2,000 followers. I found these witty comments like absolutely hilarious. And I, I DM Tony and I was like, we have got to get her on the show. She's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I sneezed and like two weeks later, literally, she has like almost 30,000 uh, followers right now. So it's a pleasure to get you on and, and show your face. You said this is your first time like live. So only people know you by Twitter right now. Yeah, I've been hiding behind a keyboard for um, a very long time now. So consider this my debut and my accent reveal. Um, So for anyone who thought I was American, I'm actually British. I've just been staying up late and now all this time. That's how you got to do it. So Tony, why don't you kick things off just real quick? I know we were talking about like, why bring her on? What's so enticing about uh, Swaf? But we always have these really kind of robust episodes where we dive into stocks and we never really take time to like laugh about how funny FinTwit is. And so yeah. we didn't think there'd be a better person to really bring on. Yeah. And Avi, just like, yeah, shout out to you, Avi, for always finding people like me at 200 followers and somehow trying to, <laughs> scoot, trying to scoot over on all of us. But we're happy to be here. Uh, yeah. I mean, like a couple episodes, we were talking about how sometimes Twitter can be like a tough and sometimes mean and nasty place. But there's so many follower accounts that I, I love to see that are pretty funny. Like they're hilarious people and they, and they bring, you know, cool things about finance out to you in a way that you're going to laugh about and enjoy. And sometimes it actually sticks with you better. So we wanted to kind of change the pace here of a lot that's been going on over the last three months and bring some positivity jokes. And of course, some pounding the table to you guys. And some humble brags, apparently, Tony. Swap is much cooler than you are, you know, <laughs> we're going to get there. But I don't even think I'm cool. I just click buttons, man. <laughs> I love it. So let's introduce the world here. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know besides just being a, a Twitter now, like kind of celebrity, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Twitter celebrity. I mean, um, I was joking with my friends at the weekend. I was like, why can I have gone famous on Instagram? We could have gone for free dinners. I was like, Twitter, this is just, I was like, this is so niche. I was like, but this cool crypto guy follows me and he thinks I'm hilarious. And they're like, okay, right. Okay, so we really need to really need to get offline now. Um, but I guess a bit about me. Um, I'm 25. Um, I live in London. Um, I grew up um, in um, a place called Chester, which 
Um, it's in between Manchester and Liverpool. So um, I guess for Americans, like Beatles are from Liverpool, Oasis are from Manchester. So I'm trying to give you guys bearings um, as um, as I need from you guys. When someone explains where like the deep south is, like where the hell is the deep? I just know, like America is like, oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm like actually <laughs> in the deep south, but it's actually Your proper too deep. deep. South. Too yeah, deep. but it's it, it's too deep. It's not actually the deep south because I'm at the <laughs> end of Florida, so like it stops like right at the edge of Alabama. Do you have an American accent? Because like every, I feel like every British fan, like friend of mine, has their attempt at an American accent. Can we get one of those? Uh, real quick? What can I say? What can I, what, usually go like, like a... it's totally awesome or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guys, it's just really great to be here today. That's like a bit Courtney Kardashian, is it? You know, when she's always like, my my vibe right now is just living life. That's like something <laughs> she wants. You got it. You got it. <laughs> uh, that's probably like too much American TV when I was younger, dribbling in there. But I guess like me, um, yes, yeah, so I grew up um, outside of outside of London. Um, went to university in Bath. Bath is like a pretty um, commercial university. You have to do like a placement year, which is where you like go away and work for a year, sort of like sandwiched in between your degree. And I was probably like the greenest person you've ever met. Like I had absolutely no idea. I'd only ever like worked in like coffee shops or anything. And all my friends were like, I'm going to like, I'm interviewing at Goldman Sachs and and Morgan Stanley and stuff. And I was like, what is the Goldman Sachs? I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, And I did like 30 interviews or something ridiculous and um, ended up like getting a job at Bank of New York Mellon um, in in their asset management arm. Um, And I guess like really fell like in love with finance, I guess then. Um, And just... I studied politics, so I think it kind of naturally fit because I think, you know, it sort of sits at like the epicenter of everything that you do, really. I think the two are very symbiotic. And then graduated and interned at JP Morgan and then joined on their analyst program and then recently made the move late last year into mid-market private equity. So that's like career. Um, I am an Aquarius. Um, if it's that kind of podcast, <laughs> you guys are like, we need like, to know just that. Lost, just lost 50 followers instantly. Yeah, All your like right diehard now. stock people are like, for goodness sakes, yeah, here's right. this girl they've got on. Like, just broke support. Just broke Horror support. Scopes. You guys are like, we'll let it that bit out. We'll let we'll it that bit out. We'll let this one slide. <laughs> what really kind of drove you? Is there any other like influences beyond just like seeing awesome guys in suits or you know, people at the bar balling out? Like, what, was there anything like specifically that kind of got you into that world? Uh, I mean, I just watched The Big Short about six times and uh, oh, yeah. that that was it. And then Wolf of Wall Street and uh, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I think... Um, I think, you know, I watched, you know, not to get like too sentimental, but I watched my dad really like weather 2008. And um, I think like the influence of that, he has a railway business that's like naturally like obviously very cyclical. And I think Mm. watching that kind of like ride with the economy and I think that for me always had like a part of it. I've always liked the pace of it. I'm quite an intense type A person. I like, you know, really like fast deadlines. I thought I wanted to work in public policy for a while and I am... Let's say I went and did like an internship. I was like, oh God, this is so boring. Everything's due mm-hmm. like two weeks from now. I was, like, right. I was like, I need like fire and someone like breathing down my neck. And then, you know, I think markets, um, you know, if you like businesses and you're a consumer and you use products, you know, naturally you should be interested in that. And, you know, now I work in private assets, but just the same mentality of, would I use this product every day? Is this a business I would tell my friends to use? Mm. Is this something I believe in? Do I like the management team? Um, you know, I just think it's like a very rational way. I think it gets overcomplicated. Um, mm. And, you know, particularly I didn't come from a finance background. I didn't study economics. So I think 
a lot of my enjoyment of finance has been like really just dialing it back and just like I said, using it as a consumer. I hope that makes sense. And, and what you said about kind of putting the pieces together around life. That's like my fiance was asking me, like, what are you, what are you so obsessed with this for? And I was like, you kind of have to like pick pieces from all the news and it's constantly changing. And it's like, you can yeah. actually make money off of figuring out how the pieces kind of fit, fit together more or less, you know? Yeah. It's never a dull moment. Like I see, you know, people are buying Tesla cars and then of course Tesla stock goes up like three or four years later. And I actually got into uh, finance the same way that I, I guess like in that 2008 period, my parents were also trading during the time and it was not good for them by any means. And so I was like, always really interested to see like, how it can cause someone's life to be so, so great and also so, so bad. And, and of course, yeah. like it's been a, a tough market over the last few months, but in, in the end game, it's always cool to figure out what's going on in the cool pieces. And you actually kind of feel like you're rooting for those companies, you know, and you're investing and you're like, yeah, yeah, you go Etsy, like you go Shopify, make that acquisition or whatever it is. And and, it, and it's cool to root for it like your team. One thing that we just wanted to talk about, because it's kind of surprising that we only, we have like 85 or 86% of our listeners are males. And I'm sure FinTwit's probably very similar in that regard. And we, and we know earlier you were telling us, you know, there's not always the nicest comments sometimes where people are, you know, maybe being nice, maybe being mean, but how does it feel kind of being one of the, you know, bigger women on Twitter in this space? And, you know, what can you kind of maybe say to the other women who are trying to do this, but maybe not getting yeah. as much traction? And finance in general, if, like I, I was going to yeah. say, that's kind of like the elephant in the room. And like, it's always like of course. that awkward question, especially from a guy to ask with Kathy Wood, like being this huge influencer, not only to women, to, to men. And it's amazing to actually see, uh, I'm trying to get my fiance into this and, and seeing other women in it is definitely going to be influential. So yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think you're right. Like the elephant in the room thing. I think men are sometimes scared to sort of bring it up because they don't want it to be canceled. <laughs> yeah. And they don't want to be, but actually like actually not talking about something is probably like the, the worst thing you right. can do. I think, you know, being like, I don't know about this. Like, how do you feel? Is, is it like kind of the perfect way to sort of start the conversation and have the question? I mean, it's, it's definitely still like finance generally, like a very you know male dominated mm. industry. And I will, I will fight anyone who says otherwise, you know, I, this is <laughs> the second team I've worked in now where it's been all male. Um, and, um, you know, my, my team currently are some of the most supportive men that make me feel smart, equal, empowered. I'd like to do an incredible job. And that is like a true testament to, to them. Um, and I really love working with them and I'm really lucky, um, but have definitely been in environments where I didn't feel like that. I definitely think it is changing. And I you know every year I see like progression and I see more like female role models and I'm like, oh, she's so cool. Like, I can't wait to, mm-hmm. you know, do that. I think my one of my friends did a tweet about, um, you know, Whitney when she did the the Bumble IPO and she, it was like Whitney with the mm-hmm. her baby on the hip. And my friend did this tweet and she was like, I'm so like empowered by this. This says so much about female empowerment. And the amount of people that like crept up and were like, like, she's not self-made. She's not this, she's not right. that. And I was just like, it's just yeah. like, just missing the point entirely here. Like, yes, like she might be a woman of like privilege from background, but there's still like so much that she's had to break through with that. And I think- yeah. That was like, that was really recent. I mean, that was quite a big mm-hmm. reminder for me um, of, of like that it's still kind of really out there. And I get stuff on Twitter and some of it's, some of it's funny. Like I, you know, I laugh at it. Like I had this mm-hmm. guy that was like, was like, who gave the housewife a Bloomberg terminal? Um, I was like, I was like, I was like, it's funny. And I was like, and I was like, I'm going to reply to this. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to come for you. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but I mean, like equally it's, equally it's not funny. But then I do get a lot of guys messaging me and they're like, Hey, like, uh, love your like take on the markets. And just like, you know, it's a lot of guys that like, just receive it really well, but there definitely is like still some like yeah. hate out mm-hmm. there. But I mean, the FinTwit, the FinTwit community is definitely 
I'd say that there's a lot more girls on like the stock trading side that are like mm-hmm. creeping up who I love, like Robin Hood Kid. She's amazing. Um, and she yeah, does really great cool. TikToks, like super informative, funny, just very genuine. Um, mm. Raffaella, she's great. Dead Cat Bounce, that trading chick, like I'll forget people here, but just like some of the ones that I follow that I that I really love and just like tweet really funny stuff. But I mean, like Nope, it's Lily. She's a really smart girl. I think she's doing like a PhD or something. And she got a horrendous like anti-Semitic email like sent to her personal oh, account and has like made her Twitter private, like absolutely awful. It's sort of yin and yang of just like some really, some really well-received stuff and then some really bad stuff. I think the reason I've been particularly lucky is because my stuff is just humor. Like I've just... I didn't, I don't, and I don't feel like there's anyone else really doing it now. I hope I'm not like carving myself (laughs) a new niche, but like just girls making memes, which I just really didn't feel like there was. And so when I get any kind of heat or hate, I'm like, but they don't find me funny and that's fine. It's not an attack on me as a person. You know, if like I was Mm -hmm. posting like pictures of myself and I was like, and someone was like, oh, you're really ugly. I'd be like, oh, that's so rude. You know, but because it's just like, oh, this wasn't funny or like, like you can't buy a put option at that price like you don't understand yeah 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 like I did something I was like the week I was like men only want one thing it's 1980 like apple call option and some guy replied like mm-hmm. no like call options can't last well, can't last that long and I was like well, no of course not <laughs> yeah, <it's a> <laughs> like, I was like just get off my profile like please like if you don't get it don't worry your TikToks pop up on your Twitter stream have you noticed like the different dynamics, I guess, from Twitter to TikTok to like, I don't know if you have an Instagram or whatever it may be, are yeah. people reacting to you differently? And, and I guess, I don't know if your content is similar on those TikToks and, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's really interesting to see what lands and what doesn't. I've seen a lot of other people have this is that they post their TikToks on their Twitter and they either do way better on TikTok. It seems to be a complete mm-hmm. inverse relationship. It's not correlated at all. And um, I post some of my TikToks on there and it's like my regular fan fans. It sounds so silly to me right. to say, yeah. but yeah. like we, my we, regular... We say this all the time. It's a joke. Yeah. Like, and we go with pounders. It's easier. <laughs> The regular, the regular swap readers, shall right, I say, right. and yeah. you know, like like Greg and Perik are like, oh, swap, this is great. You know, we love to see it. Like, oh, you know, they're like they're like making me feel like warm and fuzzy. And then, you know, I'll post it on TikTok and I'll wake up the next day and there's like some old man being like, you should be in the kitchen. How dare you post it about finance? Like, you know, it's just like yeah. on, like honestly, like really misogynistic stuff, misogynistic yeah. stuff. And I had I have a friend who works at TikTok and I sent them to him and I was like, this is really alarming. But that's yeah. the nature of how much the because of the reach of TikTok, you know, mm-hmm. stuff can really blow up overnight. Like I've got one that's on almost a million views, which is oh staggering to think like a million people yeah, on there have like right. seen seen this, like I was just going to say, I feel like TikTok might be like the best performing hedge fund of the last 12 months. I mean, like mm. with the reach that they have, the reason you can get like a million followers is just because it's very random. And so like when you see people are saying like, that's how I first heard about Doge, like this cycle. It was that yeah. girl doing the video of like, you're obviously sent it to me. He's like, going to take Dogecoin to the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, it literally went like, it's, it's literally, going to the moon in a year yeah, so it's like really. it's, it's actually insane to see that and you know they're like safe moon and, and gamestop and amc it's all like the wall street bets and the twitter communities and mm-hmm. then tiktok it's just 
retail has really got a strong hold on what can yeah. happen in the world. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that retail bit, like you've really hit the nail on the head, like the, the power of the retail investor. If there's anything we've learned this year, it's exactly that. And I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of like misinformation out there and it is kind of, of terrifying course. when you see some stuff and you're like, oh my God, this is like, don't like, please, can we stop viewing this? But mm-hmm. there is some of it that's like amazing. And I think, you know, I have more friends that are trading now than ever. I have more, I don't know if you guys feel the same. I have more oh. friends that are interested in the, the markets that, than, than ever really. Yeah. It's interesting because like talking about like Doge and some of these like meme stocks, I don't know if you got involved or if you're able to, because like, <laughs> given what you do for work. Those aren't work. really uh, securities. Doge was one that I was like looking at definitely for a while, but now I did. I never actually went in. I don't know if either of you guys did. Did you pull I, the I, trigger on that? So I, I, I was really? uh, yeah, I was talking about it like 0.06. And I know there's people like way, way, way before. I just want to say Doge going to the moon. So it was worth like a thousand bucks to throw in to have fun. <laughs> just, just to yeah. get what it's yeah, it I just want to say Doge going to the moon. That seems sick. <laughs> I had a buddy who was mining this thing at like 0.0001. And it, it's hilarious. Like the fate loves irony thing. And I think that's why like you've had so much success on Twitter kind of thing. It's like memes are becoming more and more realistic, right? Like people are enjoying them more and more. And like that argument Elon said about there is that fate loves irony idea that Dogecoin was created as a meme to mock cryptocurrency, so it could be the cryptocurrency. And I think we're seeing so much of that today now. It's like GameStop, AMC, you know, just it's nonstop in that regard. I really miss like the GameStop drama. Like we need the GameStop trials again because (laughs) I just, that my content at that time was at an all time, like (laughs) next level. I was messaging Pro the other day and I was like, and I was like, we need that again. I was like, because the market's funnier when something like that is like, go, is like going yeah. on. I was like, Twitch is always funny when the market's down. Like, everyone, you know, you've got like Jerome Powell oh. and he's like, I'm at the printer, guys. <laughs> yeah, <he's> like, <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like living out in the UK, do you find it like different? Obviously, the US market for, for us is like front and center. Obviously, Europe has their own markets and such. But like, what do you say? You said all your friends have now started joining, you know, are they trading the European markets? Are they trading the US markets mostly? Like, how's that work living, you know, out in the UK? Yeah, I think we're all still very like US centric. I mean, my mm-hmm. portfolio is, is definitely very US centric. I went in on um, Deliveroo, which was, it's like a sort of Postmates of the UK. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. It's like our bit, yeah, like our big one there. And they did it as like, they positioned it as like huge flagship IPO. They tried to make London sort of like, um, you know, a really great like listing exchange or like mm-hmm. financial exchequer was like London for the London for primary deals. Like this is going to be it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like completely flopped. There was like no institutional take up. Um, it was like, <laughs> I think it's still down like 30% or something. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the dollar starts to diminish, you know, day by day. Yeah. It is yeah. starting to get interesting for us. It's funny, the dichotomy. Now we want to look over to the UK or yeah. London yeah. or other places. Yeah. You guys want to look here. So it's interesting. I mean, no, but I think, I mean, I have so much conviction in like the UK economy long term. I just think, you know, mm-hmm. we've had an absolute murderous series of events with Brexit and then the yeah. pandemic and, you know, European stocks, like naturally with like the dividend payout mm-hmm. don't, you know, aren't as, as growthy, shall I say, mm. as, as the U S and, um, you know, you guys have a, a much more equipped for that really. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of now for like a UK rebound, I am like very optimistic about that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> 
swaps financial take. Um, yeah. but, um, but no, so I am trying to find more like UK stocks. My dad's always like, I just bought this like UK bank. And I'm like, dad, that I was like, they just announced like 5,000 redundancies. <laughs> Please, can you not? Yeah. Well, this would be a cool time to maybe talk a little bit more about Brexit because we've covered it a lot in like podcasts. Really? But you're, you know, we've got, you know, boots on the ground now. So we'd love yeah. to hear like what you think is going to be happening to the UK in regards to Brexit. Oh my gosh. Wow. What I really need to do better than my political science degree here with this. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, there's still like, there's so many teething issues. Like every week in the UK press, we see something like fishermen go fish to go fist to fist at like French border over, you know, all these like ancient territories that we've just right. never really had to make like any legislation for. So there's still like so many teething issues with it. And I think that, you know, obviously myself and all of my friends were very anti-Brexit because we have Mm -hmm. European friends and we want to travel. And, you know, we very much believe in, you know, the movement of people and and very pro that. But now I think with the vaccine rollout, a lot of people are kind of seeing it as a positive because of how nimble Britain were able to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I hope I don't get cancelled for saying that. But I mean, like we were able to get, you know, secure so many more vaccines than than Mm -hmm. other European states and roll out really quickly, um, which is definitely something that we wouldn't have been able to do Mm -hmm. with all of the bureaucracy that ran through the EU. So it's definitely like how it will, I, I, hopefully it'll all, It'll work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're able to talk about specific stocks or specific companies you're like super interested in, but what if not, like what what sectors are you super excited about? I guess in the next five, ten years. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, I feel so boring if I say tech. Like that is, but that is, you know, <laughs> tech, just <TVs>. like <laughs> the only right. way. The like, you know, and I love looking for like news. I got in a lot on, um, you know, like electronic arts in like 2018 yeah. when all of the like uh, the e gaming was starting. There was a picture that went viral that I still like remember really vividly of the. It was the Wimbledon final, and it was mm. every single person in the audience had their phone out, and it was like this is like the future and streaming online sports online is just, and I mean, you know, you see these like millions of people who get more views than like a Taylor Swift concert of people watching someone game in their bedroom. And I have, yeah, exactly. And I have a younger brother who's 16. And so he's like really grown up in that world. And, um, I'm always like trying to ask him for stuff because I'm like, I'm like, what are you using? And I'm like, I sent you a load of TikToks the other day. And he was like, did you send them on WhatsApp? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, I don't use WhatsApp. That's for old people. And I went on his, it's like, and I went on his, like, got me into WhatsApp, man. We only talk on WhatsApp. I was texting an American person the other day. They messaged me on iMessage. I said, what are you at SMS code? I was like, message yeah. me on WhatsApp. I was like, no one in Europe speaks. Yeah, on it's, it's one person. Her brother has one one person and it's just swapped. I get made made fun of because I have an Android phone and so everyone's like, oh my God, your text is green. Yeah, I get like a canceled (laughs) green text in this day and age. I'm like, you guys are racist bullshit, you know? It's funny because I I love WhatsApp and so because my text is green and it messes up all these group texts, I'm like, get on WhatsApp and then I've gotten a lot of my friends for all these group He's chats. And, migrated and all of us onto there. Of course, but it's so much better though. You can everyone make this a WhatsApp chat, but this is so much better overall. It's so. I mean, I literally. It's the only thing we use. Like I, like I said, I only get yeah. SMS or delivery messages on my iMessage. But my younger brother, they just do everything on Snapchat. They just and I'm what? like, I don't. 
I don't use Snapchat. Like I, you know, I I have like one group chat on there that like maybe will send something really funny on it, but he communicates with all of his friends just on Snapchat. That's insane. I use Snapchat so differently when like I've been using it since I was like in high school, but I, I only use it for like funny things between my friends from high school. Now I don't really like use it that often. So I guess, I guess they went back to to that. And like, there is this generational trend, like people want their privacy and they realize, you know, what can happen. Meanwhile, we're out here putting tweets out that stick around for, you know, 30, 50 years. But it is interesting to see how smart these younger generation are. Well, our generation will not be able to become president ever, I don't think, because someone's got a picture of someone doing something. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we see I see this with TikTok now and I'm like, I see a lot of young people like really sharing a lot online. You know, I'll make a joke on there about Excel, but it's not, you know, I could could still run for PM. Like I'd be be clean if someone saw that. But, you know, I see some stuff and I'm like, you're 16. This is a lot of yourself out there. Yeah. And the same with Twitter and all it takes is for someone to screenshot something. And then that, like, that's mm-hmm. it really, you know, you can delete it. I mean, I delete stuff when I put a typo in cause I'm embarrassed, but you know, someone somewhere will have a screenshot of it and be like, Oh, sw- <laughs> swaps grammar yeah. is way off with that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Both for the other person. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's your future look like in terms of, you know, you're going to run for PM. We know that now <laughs> is, is this, this sudden, I don't know. It's funny to call it stardom, right? You can from two, 2,000 to 20,000. By the time people see this, you'll be at 50,000, whatever it is. But do you kind of see yourself continuing in finance or is there a, a world where you get so big and your boss is probably listening to this being like, what the fuck? Well, but like, <laughs> would you, would you go into kind of like being an influencer full time if, if you got big? I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's really, I don't I, think that would be it for me. No, I just love if it's, I've said to myself, if it stops being fun, I'll stop. And it is right. just, it is just really, you know, we were talking about this. The best stuff comes when you're just like walking along for a mm-hmm. cup of coffee and you're like, that is hilarious. I need to yeah. tweet that. Or you're like, that. you're like, I look at this picture. What's the instant reaction I have to it? And I'm going to tweet that. If you try and orchestrate it and you try and create anything, you know, everyone's always like, this is not your best work swap. Like, this is not that funny. And like, mm-hmm. you can tell and it feels right. forced. And I think that, you know, the fear is that maybe if you do it full time, that it will, you'll yeah. kind of lose that sincerity. And also like, you know, working actually in the job that I work, you know, gives me ideas and ammunition. And I'm like, oh, my Excel crashed again. I'm going to like make a tweet mm-hmm. about like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess like, at, like at the moment, I don't really have to think too far ahead. Um, I'm just having fun with it and kind of enjoying it. Good advice. For, that's a good advice for like, I know a lot of people are just recently coming to Twitter and trying to blow up and, and, and whatever way they want, whether they want to be shark guys or meme people or whatever it is. It's good to know that if you just be your authentic self, like you'll mm-hmm. actually get followers. I, I always notice that too. Like I go to post a tweet and if I like have to erase it and then put it again and then erase it twice, I don't tweet it. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's too many iterations. I lost the original message. I'm out. Yeah. So to kind of wrap things up, I, I don't know if you have any questions for us, but I, I'd love to kind of going off Tony, what he just mentioned to uh, future influencers out there. Like, what have you learned? Any suggestions? For, Swap for tips. Who's going to be, yeah. who's going to be Swap the next? Uh, I think, you know, Greg is going to hit hundred K really quickly. Um, Greg, like what I don't even know his handle. It's like one, two, it's like a cat, it's like a cat ran over the number of your keyboard, like, like all these random numbers, but, and then you have all these like pop-up accounts of him come over. It's like not Greg. And it's like Greg's sister. And it's like Greg's mom. It's so easy to impersonate because he's got like 50 numbers. (laughs) Like not Greg just replies to everything now. And is like, like, this was not me. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) 
that it keeps glitching Twitter spaces mm-hmm. and that it's not quite got the infrastructure for it. And I was like, I just wonder how many of these are actually tech issues or whether or not it's people just scared to put their microphone on because the <laughs> yeah. amount of time I've seen people be like, and then like call up someone to the stage and then they drop off and someone will be like, Oh, so-and-so says that their microphone's not working. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. did they now? Like, like, yeah. He's probably just freaking out that, in the corner. Well, so people in the audience. Like, That's <laughs> amazing. Um, but no, are you guys going to do it at all? Are you using it? We well, did it yeah, once, I'm, drunk, which yeah. <laughs> is probably yeah. a great way to, to start it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to get involved with it a little bit. There is that nervousness sense of like, mm. especially for me, I, I'm kind of off the cuff sometimes. So you, you don't have that ability to go back if you need to go edit something like, re- Rewind, I didn't mean to say uh, that. Yeah. But also, <laughs> also from the, the people you invite up too. Like I wish there was, and, and Twitter execs, if you're listening, like I wish there was a way you could have like an administrator listen into the questions prior to them going live because they could come yeah. in and say whatever they want in front of them mm. and then just balance your response. Yeah. We, yeah. we had an incident with, with that, with a live uh, YouTube one time. So. Oh, really? Yeah, I was doing live charting and it, and it was more than just live charting. It was live something else <laughs> that got hacked onto it. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing with uh, having so many people on all these platforms, right? I've seen, you know, they, there's some that have like 10, 20, 30 speakers and it's just, you know, everyone's muted and then you hear like Billy's over there driving his car or whatever. But I do think Twitter Space will probably be huge like i think clubhouse i don't like having to go to like another app mm. and like and mm. go do all these different things and like i feel like twitter is much more homey you know if you go there you're like oh avi's on there you know even though you're it's already on there night, already yeah exactly for another yeah, purpose. Like, even though it's 11 o'clock at night and avi's had like eight wines and he's calling me like let's get on spaces and i'm like i don't even have to set it up because <laughs> it's so new but I've, I've got one later today or i'm going to be talking about c limited but i think it's really cool just to chat with people about it Besides Pound on the Table, is there is there any other podcast that you love uh, that, that you listen to or suggest? I literally brothers? only listen just to Pound on the, the Table. It's oh, just, wow. I just have it on repeat. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you for coming. This was awesome. We'll have to do this again sometime. We're going to have to get definitely. you your own podcast or something because I, I would definitely listen. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. So thanks for coming Me and on. Greg. Exactly. We'll have to get you on. <laughs> and again. not Greg. And not Greg. And not, and not Greg. And Greg's mom. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. honestly anyone who doesn't have like this into it will just be like who the hell is this yeah, Greg we'll so <laughs> searches are going to go up on Google Trends yeah. so hopefully we'll get swapped back on next time you'll be at like 100,000 listeners or fans oh, or swaps whatever we're calling them yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, with awesome. like speak to in 2050 exactly <laughs> awesome that was amazing, Tony. She, she's she's a legend. I, I absolutely adore her. She's great and, and can't wait to get her again on the show. Now, we want to take a look ahead here to the week. So I'll just pop up with a little bit of the earnings that are going to be coming out. We got uh, on Tuesday, Intuit, Zscaler, Wednesday, Workday, Apps, Snowflake. That one's going to be a big one. But the biggest one we're probably keeping an eye on for Wednesday is going to be NVIDIA. So all the chaos with the chips, that'll be interesting to really see what happens there. Uh, Thursday, we got Box, Dell, Costco, Best Buy, Salesforce. So a lot of tech, Best Buy, obviously, with some of the retail side. And Friday, we don't really have anything happening. But I wanted to talk to you more so about kind of what's going to be happening from some of these events that are big coming up. So we got Tuesday, 10 a.m. is going to be the new home sales, right? We got consumer confidence also on Tuesday. 
Thursday, we got initial jobless claims coming up and also the real Q1 GDP. And then finally on Friday, we got the consumer sentiment. So I pulled up a whole list. You know, I pretended like I knew what I was talking about. I got a few of them correct in terms of which ones matter, which ones don't. But you pick these, you know, five events that are going to be very big and important things to watch. So what are we kind of taking a look at here and, and what can you expect? Yeah, I mean, all these things kind of factor into that macro environment, which is obviously the biggest thing that's happening right now, right? Like I think fundamentals obviously matter so much less right now in terms of like predicting the day-to-day movements in stocks versus news and data that's happening in this peculiar time of history that we're in. So seeing new home sales will tell you how hyped up are people, like are, are people buying a ton of new homes now because they've been doing it for the last couple of months. You want to see consumer confidence. The economy is kind of more back open now. It's almost like I do. I went to Publix the other day and I haven't been to Publix in a week or I haven't been to a, a store in a week and there's no masks inside now. So I was like, is everyone, did I get, did I miss the memo when I did? So it's like, things are be, becoming much more says, normal. Dude, come on. <laughs> I mean, like that's, when I was that's in Vegas, Vegas was absolutely popping. It was, it was, it was crazier than I think I've ever even seen Vegas. And it was a week before Memorial day, which is going to be their, their busiest time. And you know, the gyms mm-hmm. actually just opened up here in New York. I actually started going back to the gym cause I'm rippy mode now, but, <laughs> you know, people weren't wearing masks in the gym even. Right. And so it, it is funny. The switch just kind of flipped uh overnight and so it is interesting to see i'm excited about it it felt great we were at the bar the other night here in new york and random people came up to me and they're just like smiling and we clink glasses and we're like america is back we're reopening so you know hopefully we we don't have another episode here uh, you know of, of corona that mm-hmm. spikes again from all this but I, I think it may be different now obviously with a lot of people getting their vaccines and a lot of people a- absolutely know, they've been through this before now so tony yeah as, and i think that they're going to be safer they're going to be yeah. safer from that and uh, i just want to touch on one last thing that jobless claims the gdp the consumer sentiment that all is just data that's going to directly play into what the feds are going to do Right. So if we can get unemployment down to their target, if like GDP comes back to be strong, like those things will impact when and how much they taper. So those are always things to just be watching every month, every quarter specifically. So you want to know, you know, how many people are entering the workforce. I still think that it's a horrible measure for the day and age that we've changed into from COVID. But, you know, it's what they're looking at. So you got to look at what they're looking at, even though like we know better that unemployment numbers don't really like make sense. It's still something to pay attention to, of course, because that's how they're going to make their decisions. Can we give ourselves a, a pat on the back real quick? I think this is the first episode we've ever done literally in one take. I felt like Jay-Z in the booth right now. Yeah. Just like we did, we did not stop yeah, I love this it. thing once. So this is actually our first time uh, running through this. Tony, as always, though, now I'm going to put you on the spot. So maybe this is going to be where it messes up. But uh, any last words Way. for the week ahead? Any, any last thoughts for Pound Nation? Absolutely. So I think the biggest thing to understand here is that it's we're not out of the woods yet, right? We had two or three days of pops. It's nowhere near ready to say, wow, we can throw the rockets back up and everything, right? It takes time. Bottoms don't just happen in a day. Tops can happen in a day, but bottoms don't happen in a day unless it's a huge flush and we haven't gotten huge flushes. So it's important to kind of feel it out and see, right? Like this is not where I'm over here throwing margin and slamming calls, right? You want to see where the data shows and and what will happen because of it. And you want to see continued strength, right? I'd rather buy something that's ran 10% after basing then something that's ran 2% and then dives 10%. So it's important to know where we are, right? Because you are where you are. And with that being said, Pounders, we'll be back next week for another episode. Avi and Tony for life, baby. Drip on a honey, I say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, on level three. Pounding on the table for my team. 
Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accounting. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in prickle with the tribe. Shawty sliding, she want sushi, she want eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light. Took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, it's a lie. I'm a real one, I provide, yeah. Drip on a hundred.